Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. People, we have an awesome show tonight. OMG. You know, I've prepared for a lot of shows. You talk about stressful. Preparing for this one has been interesting. I'm going to tell you why. We've had different types of people. And all of you guys showed up tonight in the audience. What types? People who, they've seen this topic on social media for the last two years. I'm like, come on now, that's old. We don't want to hear that. And then you have the people who they wear this topic strong black woman as a badge of honor, you see. And then you have people, they like, hey, what's that? You know, people who are new to the topic. Well, our goal tonight is to have something for each of you. But before we get started, I want to kind of share with you actually a TikTok, and we're going to share um, this reel in the chat later. But I want to share this as a way to kind of get us all on the same page of what the topic tonight is about. So give me one second. I'm going to try this experiment. We're going to see if it works. And let's see if I can hit play. And I'm I'm fine. I'm a strong black woman. I can't be anything but fine. Well, this strong black woman is struggling. (laughs) Arguing more with my husband, getting three hours of sleep at night. And when I can't close my eyes, I can't rest for worrying about the city. I'm running on fumes. And I'm not too proud to admit it. Now, that's the brave face our mothers force on us. Heaven forbid a woman, especially a black woman, show the least bit of righteous anger. Just shift so quickly from strong black woman to angry black woman in these people's and eyes. And a thin line between them. I swear, sometimes I can't breathe. Crush is so crushing. This for oh, hell. No, 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 Loretta, look. Does it? No. Takes the edge off. I'm fine. I'm a... Well, that is actually a skit from... Katie, what's the name of that show again? And she's muted. NCIS. That's from NCIS. From NCIS. I think it's New Orleans, right? Yes, that's correct. Great, great. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and get started Dr. Jones, Dr. Lee, thank you for being here tonight. And I am so excited because we're not just dealing with anybody talking about this topic. We have brought in the experts. And I would love to just get us started with, let's say, Dr. Dr. Leith, if you don't mind, Dr. Shauna, getting us started with telling us about you, your work and what you do. Yeah. I, um, one, thanks for having me again. I don't know you know, how far back we go, but I'll provide some general synopsis. I'm originally from Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, I'm a first-generation college student. I went to school at a liberal arts school out in Southern California. Um, and then I went to grad school at the University of Michigan and got my PhD in education and psychology. And I was focusing a lot of my work on Black youth academic achievement. Um, and then towards the end of grad school, I started looking more into Black women and girls' identity development and health and thinking about stereotypes like the strong Black woman. And I'm currently an assistant professor at the University of Virginia, although I'll be heading to St. Louis and Washington University in St. Louis um, this summer. So heading back over towards the Midwest again. Any, oh, and I mean, I have four kids at home. I've got a dog. Like, 
can also share other things, you know, personal and professional. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And Dr. Jones, please tell us about you, your work, what you do. Sure. Um, I am originally from Houston, Texas. So um, I, yeah, it's good to be on this Southern Soul Show. Um, I identify as a Southerner and that culture is really important to me. Um, I've done most of my training in the South. So I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Texas at Austin um, and did my graduate training in counseling psychology at the University of Houston. Um, my work thus far, it originally started by focusing on race and thinking about how Black students make sense of their race and how that impacts their academic achievement. But very similar to the work that Dr. Leaf mentioned, at some point in time, I started to think about gender. So what is the intersection of race and gender and how does that impact Black women's functioning in a variety of different domains? Um, after completing my PhD in counseling psychology, I did postdocs at Teachers College Columbia University, as well as the University of Michigan. And that's where I had the pleasure of connecting with Dr. Lee. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's awesome to have both of you here tonight because you get to do another collaboration. I am so excited. Now, now Dr. Leith, before we um, jump into the topic, tell us a little bit about how the work that you two are different, because I know you both, you know, do Black women's study, but it's a, a different focus, right? I would say in some ways, and obviously Marty can speak to this a bit too, my work think, focuses more in some ways on educational context, and again, thinking about identity development, so how, um, as Black girls come to develop their sense of Black womanhood as they grow into womanhood, right, and they're getting older, um, I also have a line of work that focuses more specifically on Black families. So like there's some work we're doing now thinking about the, actually Marty's in on this too, the intergenerational like socialization of strength. So how moms might model or talk with their daughters about strength and how Black girls might pick up on that or might not. Um, and so I kind of have a higher ed focus and a family focus and thinking about socialization. And I was trained again in education insight. And Dr. Marty is actually a clinician and she can talk more about some of her that work if she wants. So I think that'd be a clear distinction there. Awesome. That's going to be helpful because I'm, I'm glad that we have both of you here tonight. So let me give the audience a summary before we jump in. You know, we're just going to start with, you know, the two um, speakers and, you know, their background. Then we're going to kind of jump into what I call the messy middle, right, where it gets complicated. But then we're going to talk about where is their help, where is their support, and how do we turn a corner on this topic. So let's kind of jump into the strong, silent Black woman, the, the, the damaging effects, the stereotypes. Dr. Lee, do you mind getting us started? How do we get here, right? How do we get to this place where, you know, it's considered that, you know, Black women may have this superwoman complex, superwoman syndrome. I don't even know what to call it, but how do we get here? I'm actually hoping, are me and Marty able to kind of riff off one another? Because I do think, yeah. okay, okay, great. I didn't, okay. Um, so one, I think that there is a lot of history to the strong Black woman stereotype, even in specifically thinking about the U.S. context, dating back to the enslavement of African-American communities, um, and this notion that Black women's labor was exploited, right? And Black women are expected to be strong as they were working not only in the fields, um, but also maintaining, trying to maintain family systems. And so I think it's easy to trace it back to that, even though in some ways it could be considered a more contemporary stereotype and a positive stereotype where it's like, oh, Black women are the pillars of their community. They're taking care of their children. They're working. Like, they're active in their churches. They're active in their communities. Um, so I think we can see this through line between, like, thinking about the historical exploitation of African Americans and Black folks in this country and also contemporary implications like how Black women are, are in their communities and living their lives. Um, and so I'll pause there and also hopefully let Marty jump in if she wants to add to that. Yes, Dr. Yeah. Jones, please share. 
I think I would briefly add just in terms of the transition into modern times, I think us modern Black women have kind of reappropriated this idea of the strong Black woman. And as was shared earlier, it's kind of considered a badge of honor for many of us. And so though a badge of honor, it's in many ways a double-edged sword. Um, it's functional in some ways, helping us take care of our communities. But what we see in the mental health world is that um, and even in modern times, that it also contributes to um, psychological and health outcomes that aren't too good. Um, yes. So tell me about the different titles, right? So you have silent, you know, strong, silent Black woman stereotype. You have the Black woman syndrome. We have superwoman syndrome. Are they all the same or are they a little differently? And are any of these terms, have they found like formal meaning, like in a DSM somewhere, or are they just really social terms? I'm wondering, you know, if it's all the same or if it's slightly different. So I think um, I'll let Dr. Jones say if it's in the DSM board, but I would actually say like different scholars and folks have written about it in different ways, but a lot of times there are kind of these core components of thinking about like suppressing your emotions, obligation to like present this image of strength resistance of vulnerability. Um, there's also like you mentioned the Sisterella context, which Jones and Shorter Gooden wrote a, wrote a book about shifting and kind of the double lives of black women in America back in 2003. And so the Sisterella complex talked about kind of the strong black woman coinciding with anxiety and depression in black women in the sense of like, if you always have to present this image of strength, how does that relate as Dr. Jones mentioned to poor mental health outcomes? Um, the, it's interesting because when you mentioned like the silent strong black woman, I keep thinking that I know a lot of Black women in my life who actually do assert their needs or assert that they do need help and they're in fact not strong, but maybe folks aren't listening. And so I'm always, whenever I'm thinking about this notion of like Black women as silent, challenging it a bit um, just to say that sometimes we are saying that like we need help or this isn't working um, or we need something else and maybe folks aren't able to kind of to, to lighten that load or lighten the burden. Um, but I would say these are all interrelated concepts and folks have maybe just written about them in different ways. Um, and in clinical settings, it may may have specific terminology. But again, Marty, I don't know what your impression is. Right. I would echo everything that Dr. Leith has said in terms of folks writing about the same concept, just giving it in different labels. Um, but often the characteristics are very much the same. From a clinical context, what we know is that there is a book written by Childs and Palmer. I'll have to get the name of the book, but they talk about this syndrome called Invincible Black Woman Syndrome, which is this idea of when women take on the strong Black woman ideal, it often manifests as depression, anxiety, and feelings of hopelessness. Now, granted, invincible Black woman syndrome is something that is a construct that's mentioned in this book. There's nowhere in the DSM-5, and I believe there's DSM-5-TR that just came out, during which there is a, a mention of this kind of uh, psychological manifestation specific to Black women. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, as I began to look in some of the reading, I came across this word miss, right? Some of the I don't know if it's missed or misunderstandings or misperception, but what I think is, you know, this whole, you know, double-edged sword, as you described it, where it's a badge of honor, but at the same time, it can lead to, you know, these bad things. You know, what are some of the myths? What, what leads us to this place? What makes it a double-edged sword? What makes it a double-edged sword is the idea that in many ways it is functional, but then it also harms us. So when we think about the strong black woman schema and the trope, the stereotype, whatever label that you choose to use, um, we can think about how the specific components like emotional vulnerability or that lack of emotional vulnerability, that can be useful in some context. 
So for instance, if you were in a board meeting with predominantly white colleagues, it perhaps would not behoove you or serve you well to share all of your emotions in that meeting, especially if you were the only black woman in that environment. Um, but in other instances, it can become really problematic when we do not share our emotions, particularly with those that we love or those who can actually honor our emotions. And so my, I say all this to say that some of these characteristics of the strong black woman trope can be useful in some contexts, like working in predominantly white environments, but then they become negative when we're thinking about other contexts, like with your romantic partner or someone who's supportive um, with your family, et cetera. So that's kind of how it becomes a double-edged sword. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anything you would add to that, Dr. Lee? Because, you know, this is the, the messy middle, right? It's good, but it's bad. It's, you know, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the piece that, you know, Dr. Jones Marty's bringing out is also the importance of context. So if we also think about, for instance, in medical settings, um, one, if a Black woman, for instance, she goes into the doctor and if she has difficulty expressing that she's having like some type of somatic or bodily pain, but also if we have this notion of Black women is strong in the medical community and they believe in these negative stereotypes, not actually, if we're communicating about pain, not taking that seriously, saying that we might need medication, misdiagnosing, misdiagnosing Black women, not diagnosing Black women, not listening to us. And so th these intersections, the messy pieces that you're talking about, um, thinking about how do stereotypes then influence our real life treatment um, with these, even essentially having like, I don't want to, you know, be exaggerating, but life or death cons consequences, but thinking about health outcomes in that way. And so I would just add like, you know, it, it can play out differently, maybe in educational settings, healthcare settings, like um, Dr. Jones mentioned, intimate partnerships and relationships, how we interact with our children. And so really thinking about the various manifestations, um, and what that could mean and look like. And I did a shout out, you know, to Judge Katanji Jackson when Marty was mentioning like, you know, it depends on where you're at for, I guess, how you can engage with this notion of image management. And um, and there have been a lot of memes and a lot of just, you know, praise for how she had to handle this <clears throat> questioning that she's been getting during these this, these confirmation hearings and the, the types of questions she's been getting in um, that, that other folks, perhaps less melanated folks, perhaps, male body folks would not have received. And so thinking about that in terms of the strong black woman with it, with it being adaptive and likely how she had to engage in these ways through law school and through all these other positions that she had. So that's something else that I would offer. You know, th thanks for sharing that. You, you reminded me of a um, experience. It was actually a story down in Florida when um, um, young black boy goes to this um, prep school. Uh, he won the lottery system or whatever. And he ran into his bully situation and they videotaped it. and It was horrible. So I was curious, right? Because I'm watching this and I've never seen anything like it. And then, you know, I'm watching the parents. And I recall one of the things that the mom said. She says, you know, I don't know what happened. This video is horrific. You know, it is very, very bad. You know, people could have easily went to the hospital. And the one thing that was significant for me is that the young black boy didn't defend himself. You know, it's like, you know, very, you know, visual, very thing that could really have hurt him, but he really didn't even defend himself. So it was very curious. So I was kind of enraged as a parent. And as a parent, I was wondering, what are the parents thinking? And I was really put at pause when I saw the mother said, well, I'm just curious at what the school is doing, what they plan to do, because I don't want to come off like that typical angry black woman. And as that mom said that, my heart just... I don't know what it did, but I'm like, this is your son. But is that image so strong that it seemed like she didn't even protect her son? And for me, that was confusing. But, you know, that was just thanks for sharing that because you reminded me of that story. Let's talk about the community, the African-American community. 
How do you feel, um, and I would love to hear from both of you, Dr. Jones, Dr. Lee, how do you feel this, you know, these images, you know, the, the, these concerns, this messy middle, how does it affect the African-American community and what you would be concerned about? Well, um, these ideas and this messy middle that we talk about directly impacts, and we spoke to this earlier, the mental health of Black women. And so when Black women in our community are, are not healthy, then it has implications for everyone around us. Um, so when Black women are taking on and having this burden of strength, um, it contributes to them not engaging in self-care. It contributes to anxiety, depression. When we are so busy taking care of others at the expense of ourselves, it also manifests physically as we see Black women embodying stress. Um, and that manifests as obesity, hypertension, et cetera, et cetera. And so this tension that we're talking about has direct implications for Black women's mental and physical health. And that bleeds out into the rest of our community. Yeah, thank you. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Lee. Yeah, building on that, I would also, um, I would mention kind of with the self-care movement too, sometimes it can erase the importance of community care. And I think this kind of like strong black woman stereotype, if there's this notion that it's enough for us maybe get five or 10 or 15 minutes away, not thinking again about ways that maybe we need more like for mothers childcare support. So thinking about like networks of support or um, this notion of strong black woman, again, like not being able to access adequate medical, medical services or medical support um, or having a job where kind of like this notion of burnout, right? Where instead of thinking about like individual burnout for black women, thinking about workplace environments and culture, like the culture of a workplace and whether that is contributing to these feelings of burnout, it's not actually about the person, it's about kind of this, this system, this place that they're in. And so I think that one of the important things like for the black community in particular is thinking about like with the strong black women in our lives, like are we asking if they need help? Are we not waiting for them to tell us that they need help, but instead like seeing all of the things that they're doing and being like, you know what, here's how I can plug in. Here's what I can do. There was also one other thing I wanted to mention at this moment. I forgot it. Well, well go ahead and think about me. that. Think yeah. about that. I want to share this because, you know, as you, as you say the community and you say um, asking for help and I just got, I don't know. I mean, the hair just went up on the back of my neck. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Asking a person, do they need help? I think that's hard for anybody, right? I mean, is that easy? Or, you know, in this scenario, I mean, any advice, you know, I'm speaking for others as guys, right? Because I got the microphone. Um, any advice, you know, let's say you're a guy and you're observing this situation and you're, you're seeing this thing. Is there anything you can say or is it best to just say nothing? I don't, I don't think I should say nothing. What are your thoughts? I would love to get a little advice. <laughs> Definitely say something. Dr. Lee, do you have any thoughts there? I mean, it's interesting. Okay. My thought there is, again, I think a lot about community care. I think a lot about how do we take care of one another? Because a piece of my work is thinking about healing, thinking about what radical healing in, in like the Black community means. And so when you say like, should I ask if you need help in the hair raises? I'm like, like, why does your hair raise? Is there is there this notion that if you need help, that that woman is then not strong or is she like there is something inherently weak about being vulnerable or about needing help? Like, what is that reaction you're having, Calvin, you know, in imagining asking this black woman in your life, does she need help with something? Because I, I think about like family systems or friends, like being able to lean on one another and realizing that we all have moments when even if it's just checking in and saying, how are you doing? Or like, what brought you joy today um, that, that it creates space? 
to not only have like the happy and the good times, but also the space to like hold one another when things are difficult. And so I'm like, nah, we need to, we need to have that. We need to have just that, like that sense of open communication and kind of building it and practicing it and working on it. Um, and not just thinking about like individual therapy settings as where we would talk about these things. But again, and actually Dr. Jones has um, done quite a bit of work with like group therapy settings being really important for black women. Um, and that notion again of community and friendship yeah, you know, I, I love any time there's an opportunity for community. So we definitely, I would love to talk about the Be Well Lab um, soon because um, Dr. Jones, I would love to hear about that lab and what it does for the people in the audience. Um, we got a few more questions that we're going to talk through this, but what you should be doing now if it's your first time is really thinking through your questions. You can put them in the chat or you can, um, after we go to Q&A, we can actually, um, you know, bring yourself off from meeting. You can ask the question. And then at the end, we're going to kind of wrap up with some discussion, right? So this is, you know, it's not a thing where I'm expecting everyone to have all the answers. But, hey, if you want to share your story, your testimony, then you have an opportunity here. So be thinking about your questions. Do put them in the chat. Public health issue. I mean, do you think this thing could get there? I don't know. It, it just seems kind of tricky, right? It's like, you know, double-edged sword. You know, do you ask for help? Do you ask for support? I don't know. You know, I was talking to someone and they're like, you know what? This thing could, you know, grow and grow and grow and become a public health issue or awareness can kick in. People can start doing different things and it goes away. What are your thoughts? You guys, you know, are closer to the topic. Do you think, you know, it has a danger of growing or do you feel like it's shifting tides? In terms of the strong black woman ideal being a public health issue, I, I feel like that's a tricky question. So it's kind of a yes and a no. As we've spoken about before, endorsing or embodying the strong black woman ideal leads to a wide variety of negative consequences for black women. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that we embody the strong black woman ideal because it is functional. It serves us in some way. It serves us as we are contending with race, gender, um, based oppression. And so really the public health issue, in my opinion, opinion, is the systemic forces that require us to be strong in the first place. So racism, sexism, misogynoir, cisgenderism, heterosexism, all the things that make us act or have to put on this armor of strength each and every day. Awesome. I love it. Um, anything you want to add to that, Dr. Lee? Because um, I feel like that was a mic drop type moment. But please, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Those big work, boy, Dr. Martin said all of them. OK, she was like, we're going in for all the systems at this moment. But to the point about the strong black woman, like it being functional, even in my earlier point about the judge, like she wouldn't be where she was if she hadn't persevered. Right. That was also a part of the confirmation hearing. This notion that she was what on Harvard's campus feeling like she might not belong, that sense of imposter syndrome, if she had not been willing to stay in those spaces. Um, and keep doing that work. And what if they, you know, Corey, I think you mentioned like this notion of her keeping her head or actually, no, it was her sister friend who talked about her keeping her head down and doing the work, even when folks didn't um, know all the hard work that she was doing. It is functional. It got, you know, now she is the first um, Black woman judge of that, that stature. So in terms of being a public health crisis, like I think there is that piece that makes it, that makes it messy. Um, in terms of it shifting tides or this notion of it changing, Dr. She, Dr. Marty mentioned this earlier, where like this reappropriation of strength, like making meaning of strength in new ways that perhaps being strong is saying, I need rest. Perhaps being strong for black women is saying, I need help. 
Maybe being strong is unplugging for a day and tapping into your wellness and figuring out, you know what, it is strong for me to make sure that I'm going to be here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and I'm not going to tap out at 54 from hypertension or a stroke. And so I think there can be this shifting tide um, in the sense of younger Black women or the next generation of like Black girls seeing these different models of strength and also demanding more for themselves and for the other Black women in their lives. And hopefully Black men and non-binary folks like all folks in the Black community also saying like, we want to protect Black women and we want to invest in their wellness and health. So I'm always for the imaginative like possibilities, what we could do around our health and well-being. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, and I love the fact of the community, you know, as I was reading um, the book and um, Strong Black Woman, and I can't remember the author right now, but that's the title, Strong Black Woman. One of the things she talked about, and I don't know if it's true for everyone, but she kind of talked about this concept that as a girlfriend, sometimes it's not okay to show weakness or show that you need help because girlfriends may judge you in a way that say, hey, you know, why are you asking for help? Are you not, you know, that thing? And as you talk about this community thing, it sounds like that could be a challenge. That could be a barrier. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? It definitely is. Um, and I think there is a place, it definitely is a concern. And I think that there is a need for, even within our own sister circles, to kind of challenge ourselves to operate in different ways. So I think even when we are vulnerable with our other Black women friends, there is this idea of, you got it, girl, like keep being the strong Black woman, but we have to actually operate in different ways and challenge ourselves to hold each other accountable for being um, vulnerable, hold ourselves accountable for engaging in self-care, hold ourselves for hold ourselves accountable for operating in different ways that may serve us a little bit better than kind of continuing to have on this armor or mask of strength. Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's, let's talk about how to break the cycle. How, you know, what help is out there? Dr. Jones, you actually manage a group as an organization, Be Well Lab. Tell us about Be Well Lab, what it is, and you know, how people can access it. We'll drop it in the link, but I'm very curious about, you know, what type of help or support that's out there if, let's say, a person identified and says, you know what, on this double-edged sword, I'm kind of on the negative side, right? I think I need to do something a little different. I've been yeah. wearing this badge of honor very long, and I want to do something a little different. Um, what help is out there, Dr. Jones? Yeah, there's a wide variety of different um, resources available to support women who may be contending with the psychological impacts of the strong Black woman trope or ideal. Um, in terms of answering your question regarding the Be Well Lab, the Be Well Lab is my research lab that I host at the University of North Texas. It is a group of scholars who invested in studying and in producing scholarship related to women of color's wellness. One of the projects that is included in that lab centers on this intervention entitled Invincible Black Women, which I mentioned earlier. Um, it is a group psychotherapy intervention targeting um, college Black women who may be um, identifying with the strong Black woman ideal, grappling with how it's impacting them. And so it's a support group for Black women. Now, oftentimes, I don't want to say oftentimes, in some university settings, if there are Black college women who are kind of dealing with strength, there are support groups available to them, oftentimes for free, on their college campuses. But in the case that a woman listening to this radio show today is not in college or connected to an institution, there are also another wide variety of resources. One includes Psychology Today. 
So Psychology Today is an online database that includes many um, blogs and resources. Um, Dr. Leith has contributed to Psychology Today herself in her own writings. Um, there's also um, a database and directory of psychologists and therapists who can support Black women and kind of provide professional support to Black women who are dealing with um, perhaps depression or anxiety. There's also another resource entitled Therapy for Black Girls that also Black women and girls, Therapy for Black Girls, who has a, um, a directory that women can access and also see a list of Black women psychologist providers. Um, there are also many other online databases that um, give people access to psychological resources, but those are two um, that I would mention today. Yeah, th thanks for sharing that. And you reminded me, I think that group um, is in Atlanta um, somewhere. Um, it was Therapy for Black Girls, right? I think it's led by um, a very um, um, well-known um, psychologist. Um, you know, as you were speaking, it, it just really made me think, you know, in getting help, I'm thinking there has to be probably a step where a person is like, you know, I do need help. Are there certain symptoms or things that a person you think a person would be experiencing when, you know, hey, if you feel like you're experiencing this, if you feel like you're, you know, doing this, it may be time to, you know, get help. It may be time to do something a little different. Any suggestions there just maybe from the people you've worked with and things like that? That actually helped me remember what I was going to mention earlier. There was this post I saw um, that said, if a black woman feels like she is failing, she may be struggling with anxiety or depression. And that stood out to me so hardcore in terms of thinking about the strong black woman stereotype because a piece of it can be this intense motivation to succeed despite having inadequate resources. A lot of times black women, if we're dealing with racism and sexism or again, folks at the job or folks at home are not maybe getting support from friends, we might feel like we are failing at everything. We are just not making it. And instead, that may be symptomatic of struggling with depression, um, struggling with anxiety, struggling with other mental health challenges. And so I mentioned that um, a couple of other maybe things, and I'll let doc, you know Dr. Jones chime in too. Thinking about if you if you constantly feel at the end of your rope, if you're like your your emotional responses, um, you don't have maybe as much patience or as much like you're feeling tension in your body. You know, really, I do a lot of checking in with myself, moment to moment, day to day, just to say like you know. Am I holding my shoulders tense? Like, how's my neck feeling? Have I drank water? Like, if I am not doing um, some of my daily wellness habits or I'm feeling tension in certain ways in my body, then that can let me know that, you know what, I might need to, to reevaluate what, what's going on and what I'm committing to. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Dr. Jones, um, any thoughts on that? Um, if a person's experiencing certain symptoms or feelings, you know, it may be time for them to get help. I think Dr. Leith captured them rather accurately. I mean, from a more clinical perspective, if someone is feeling um, intense sadness all the time, tearful, hopelessness, um, anxiety, panic attacks, um, where they feel as if they cannot control their emotions and perhaps it's manifesting in that way, such that, such that they're having a panic attack, those are all indications that you may want to see professional help. Um, and those links that are in the chat are, are opportunities and, and can provide you links to, to pro providers, professional providers. Yeah, you know, thanks for that. You know, it reminds me, you know, I remember when I was going through an experience of needing help, right? And I remember talking to a friend. I'm like, yeah, dude, I did this study on anxiety and, you know, and stress. And as you realize, I didn't never realize that as an engineer, as a scientist, you know, I'm highly driven. And being highly driven, I'm now dealing with this anxiety and this, this thing 
And he looked at me. And very patiently, I'm like, dude, you should maybe check into this because you're a scientist too. He says, well, no, I don't think I have that problem. I'm like, you don't? He says, no. And he said this, and I knew it to be true. He says, he says, I'm too laid back and complacent to have anxiety. And that's his story, and that's his truth, and I believe it because I've known the guy for many years. He wasn't the person that really was so, so driven that he would get himself worked up. He was just laid back. What did I learn about myself? If you're hardcore driven, then it can lead to other stuff as well. And that was my own story, but I can um, share that with you guys because I like to be vulnerable because it's good. So I think we're at a good place of going to the audience and seeking some questions. Let's see here. What do we have here? Katie, what do you have? Tamika, what do you have? Any questions in the audience? Anyone, you know? I was um, so busy listening. I was not even monitoring the chat. <laughs> and I've been monitoring the chat, but people have just been like, you know, adding their inf like comments and things like that. So no specific question yet. Okay. Well, now's a good time. So if you have some question, got something on your mind, you have a awesome opportunity. And I don't know how much, you know, these ladies with Charles, but let's assume that you went into an office. I'm like 200, I think it's probably $500 an hour now. So you got like $1,000 an hour, you know, expertise here. It's a good time to ask questions. Don't tell all your business now, but a good time to kind of ask some generic questions. What we got? You know, there was a comment, and I think Shanika made it, if I'm not mistaken, but it was this, when people ask us how we are, and our response is, I'm fine, right? Um, often it's very difficult in the moment because you're sensing that the person doesn't ne isn't necessarily looking for the long, drawn-out response to how you're actually doing, right? But if you could just, I think, give us some practical advice as to how to just open up a little bit on a daily basis. Because at the, I think the other side of that is that a lot of us do have people in our lives that if we did say, hey, you know, I'm feeling stressed about X, those people would probably offer us some support, but we're just sort of stuck in the response of I'm fine, right? How do you break free from that habit? So I'm gonna act, I'm gonna offer. This is more like me just personally reflecting, which is hopefully fine at this moment too. Um, I had to practice it, and oftentimes, sometimes I'm fine will still come out, and then I will have to say, actually, I am not fine, and here is what I'm feeling, and here is what I think it's related to. Sometimes, you know, I don't know if y'all ever had those moments where like you're in a mood and you can't figure out quite what happened to get you there, but something is off. Um, and so I, you know, this notion of trying to be in tune with yourself, doing some self-reflection. Some of that for me has been individual therapy. Some of it has been group therapy. Some of it has been doing like those guided journals, talking with friends, sitting, just sitting with myself, sitting with my thoughts. Um, now we got a lot of questions in the chat. Someone actually mentioned like breaking the cycle. And so I'm, a, I don't know if, you know, Dr. Jones wants to chime in on the, that. And then I was, I was kind of jotting down some like daily tips that I thought could be helpful and accessible to folks um, regardless of resources. I would say, I mean, breaking the cycle is many of the things that you mentioned, Dr. Lee. So we all as Black women, as Black folks, checking with, checking in with ourselves and really thinking about how are we feeling as opposed to just immediately responding and saying, you know, I'm fine, checking in and saying, okay, how am I really feeling? And then communicating that to those around us. Um, I think 
we could do a better job of asking follow-up questions to our sister, sister friends and, and with people in our circle. So when someone says, I'm just fine, perhaps we could say, well, you know, ask a little bit more. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, doing some follow-up questions to kind of get at what people are experiencing. Um, because many women who um, identify with strong Black womanhood may be less vulnerable than others, some of that additional questioning and prompting is necessary. Um, so I would just echo everything that Dr. Leith said. There is so much that has been blown up in the chat, and I want to acknowledge some of these things. Um, Okay, so one, you know, someone asked about like what happens if you have service in the military and, and a few other folks also mentioned PTSD, which is very real, right? And being able to actually seek treatment for PTSD. I know sometimes veteran services, the VA is not helpful in that regard. And also Dr. Marty has, you know, a lot of work thinking about culturally competent clinicians and thinking about, again, this intersection of do black women feel safe going into counseling services, even related maybe to military service, being open and vulnerable and having to explain their experiences of racism and their experiences of sexism and then being gaslit, right? Where maybe their counselor is not believing what they're saying or they're having to prove their experiences of pain or prove that they actually went through this. And that that is another layer of harm instead of actually being able to experience help in that setting. So I want to, wanted to note that. Someone else mentioned, what if a spouse or what if your family members aren't supportive of you seeking mental health services or this notion of like, just pray on it. Just, you, you know, focus on your religion, focus on your faith. I think there is nothing wrong with this notion of like having Jesus and having a therapist too. And I love some of the mental health clinicians, um, specifically black mental health clinicians who don't make it an either or, but talk about both and, um, and this community-based work that's even happening within like black churches, which may not be happening everywhere, but I like seeing movement in that direction. I think that is beautiful. Um, a couple of other things like this notion of being able to consider your boundaries and if you're able to establish boundaries and choose yourself, that's something that sometimes when, I, when I'm reflecting on like, how am I showing up for everyone else in my life, this sense of like obligation to help others, are there boundaries that I can set that help preserve and help fill my cup? And I think, again, this is something I, it is ongoing. Someone else asked, is therapy ongoing? I've considered it kind of like, I may not always be an individual or group therapy, but I see it as an ongoing potential self-care, help practice that like it could also be prevented, right? Not going to therapy when my life is on fire, but going in for some check-ins, maybe kind of working through some stuff, being out of it for a while, um, maybe going back. And the last thing I'm, that I'm going to just pause is this notion of like balls. So what balls are you juggling that are rubber and which balls are glass when if they fall on the floor, they'll actually break. And sometimes for me, I think all of my balls are glass. And in fact, many of them are rubber and I can push back a deadline or I can say, I don't have the capacity for that right now. Maybe later I can tell my kids, now nah, mommy's tired and it's more important for me to get rest than for us to go to this playground at this moment. We can do it later. So me really thinking about um, all of my commitments. Awesome. Thank you. You know, I think that's the first. Thank you for the help with the chat because that can get overwhelming at times. Great job. You know, one thing you mentioned as you were talking, um, uh, I found the book, thanks to Mika for posting that, The Strong Black Woman by Marita Golden. But she mentions the topic that you referenced, the spirituality part. Oh, Jesus will fix it. Oh, you know, I don't need a doctor. I don't need a therapist. All I need is Jesus. You know, some of these myths, some of that messy middle, oh, that's a tricky one. I would love to get some discussion on that one. But, um, you know, but that one's a more personal one, you know. And what I've heard, you know, independent of what it's come from, where it's, spiritual, whatever, I describe this as blockers to getting help. 
blockers to being your best self, blockers to having your best mental, physical health. Spirituality can get in the way. Your career can get in the way. Your your drivenness, everything. It's, it's just things that get in the way. Like Dr. Leith, I, you know, in in, in meeting with you, I, in learning, how many kids you got again? Was it four or five? I know, <laughs> four kids. So I'm like, you know, she's obviously driven. Four kids. So I'm like, that's a walking testimony. So I can only imagine. You don't have to share personal, but I'm definitely curious. How in the world do you manage five, six, six kids and, you know, a career? I mean, that's by itself hardcore driven. Tell her she's on mute while Calvin is, is talking about all 18 of her children. Oh, no. oh, now we got 18. I was like, where did six come from, though? Because we said four. And like, I was really, really good at this. That was going to be, gonna be it. How do, um, I think I've the more I've had, the more I've given up this notion that there will ever be a perfect balance, that there is like this simple solution, which is why I probably keep saying I keep checking in on myself moment to moment. Right. Um, and that and, and, and I actually that was I'm going to just keep talking about Judge Katanja Jackson, because there was a point where she talked about like work life balance with her with her daughters and not always or her daughter and not always getting it right, but wanting them to know how much she loved them. And I was like, that's real. That's a moment of, again, evaluating back, realizing you can't go back for maybe time that you've lost and that she was probably making choices on a day to day basis and trying to do all the things and realizing sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen the way we would hope. And that's kind of I'm on the earlier end of that. where I'm like, I feel you, though. You know, her daughters look like they're pretty much grown. Yeah, I mean, she's been on in the news a lot, and I saw an article. I think I removed it, but was it? She was saying it's tiring or fatiguing. Is what she said. It's it's tiring to be a black woman. Is I think was the quote. But I like how real she is. Let's go to most more questions. What else do we got, Katie? You see anything else? Any other questions? I would actually, I don't know if Dr. Marty could actually weigh in. There's this notion. I mean, I think like motherhood is easy for us to think about how hard it is to balance. But like for black women who don't have, you know, children necessarily, but have all these other roles in their life, thinking about that as well. What does that look like? The struggle is similar in many ways. I mean, qualitatively different because I'm not managing people aside from myself. (laughs) Um, The struggle is still very difficult in terms of managing your own self-care, um, responsibilities at work, et cetera, family. Um, Yeah, I think it's very similar. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, you know, and and that's one thing I enjoyed in reading that book is that it kind of talked about, you know, married, um, with kids, and then single. And ironically, you know, the stress was very different. And I'll leave that up to you guys to, you know, take a look. But the stress definitely didn't go away. You know, it was different types of distress based on the type of support that was available. But that's kind of the thing that just really just kind of made my heart go out. It's like, wow, it don't matter if you're single, no matter if you have kids, you're still going to be affected by this because the stress has come from different places. Well, I want to say thank you. There was another question, actually. Some more questions because people getting quiet. Yes. I'll, I'll wrap yeah. up. And, you know, everybody's this is, quiet. This is, I think this is a really good one because um, this is for Angela Dixon to everyone. How do you handle your sister friends minimizing your trauma, saying things like, why are you still crying? Right. Because that is real. And, you know, talk, talk some about that because there are people that don't know about mental health that, that think we should just ignore our own mental health. Both, both of them taking a deep breath. <laughs> Is, is the answer to find new friends? Is Man, that, is that see, that's what I was, yeah. I was over here like, at this point in my life, I don't have 
friends like that. I'm thinking back, you know, but I mean, I think family can also be complicated. Spousal relationships, that's complicated, right? I'm like, you can't just be throwing people away, you know, like cancel culture, that notion. I will say that like in friendships and chosen family, I am much more selective about folks who would, who would not minimize my trauma and who would listen. And if they didn't understand, can at least say like, I don't know what you're going through, but I kind of what I was trying to do earlier in a little bit, I was like, but I hear you. I validate this sound like it is very tough. How can I support you even if it's being here? So I'm like, man, if that's what your sister friends are doing, like, what are your enemies doing? Like, you are, what's going on here? Right. Yeah, and I'll throw this out there. Dr. Leith and I were talking um, when um, we were logging on, and we talked about the difference of how the topic is dealt with based on age. Katie, what would you guess? Would you say younger women or older women deal with this topic better? What? Oh, oh, younger women deal with it better. Without question, idea why? Younger, yes, younger women will call out the fact that, you know, you're, you're sitting around and um, A, they will talk about minimizing trauma, right? And they're just, they're so much wiser than those of us that have, have gone past, well past 40, right? Um, because I think so many of us have just sort of, you know, done what our parents and our grandparents, aunts and uncles did. And it's like, girl, go on, stop crying, you know, put on some oh. lipstick and keep it rolling. Katie, you were pretty close. Dr. Lee, you want to kind of share with you um, what your research and your experience has kind of discovered about the different ages of the topic? Because I would love to hear it. And also from you, Dr. Jones. So mute start. again. You're on you mute again. Do Dr. Lee? Um, I can start by saying some of my research would suggest um, very similar things to what was just said, such that young Black women are really taking up the charge of redefining strength for themselves. They are seeing what their grandmothers, their mothers, their aunties went through. And they're saying, that's not for me. I want to do something different. I want to act in a way that's different. I want to be vulnerable. I want to ask for help. I don't want to recreate or do the same things that I saw my maternal um, maternal generations before do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Jones. Dr. Lee, anything you want to add to that? No, I think that's actually, you know, part of what I, when I was talking with Dr. Marie Golden, that was kind of some of the quotes that I pulled out from the book, but talking with Black college women, um, I will say, in talking with some older Black women, also wanting to, to know that there is that sense for, I've had conversations, I'll just say, like, talking with, right, where they're like, I didn't know any different in some sense when I was younger, but, like, as I've gotten older, I've learned that, like, that wasn't helpful. That wasn't useful to me. Or, you know, older black women saying, like, I'm not letting my husband talk to me this way anymore. He, like, he ain't gonna have me in there cooking every single night, whatever it is. And so I just, this, this again, like, folks folks shift and change. Their beliefs, they're built, like, and also what, what they can do in their lives shifts over time. So I also want to, you know, Dr. Marty mentioned this earlier, the reality that this looks different for different black women based on maybe, like, um, social class, education status, where you're working, the consequences for the choices you make in your workplace setting, or maybe you can't quit your job because it's toxic, because that is not actually a reality for you or a realistic choice. Maybe you don't want to leave that marriage, so what does it mean for you to try to carve out space for your mental health and to talk about it? Um, And so at no time do I ever want to make it seem like self-care can be easy for every black woman across, you know, across the country, because that's just not the case. And that gets to, I think, the point earlier when she was talking about racism, sexism, and all these systems, it's it's like thinking about, and even this notion that it can be tiring to be a black woman, this sense that part of the danger of the strong black woman stereotype is that we are expected to overcome structural challenges as individual people, rather than being able to change like how we are cared for in this society. And that is exhausting. That can be exhausting on a day-to-day basis, right? 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll wrap us up since, you know, there's no one else who's going to be like getting into my questions. I want to end by reading a few quotes. Um, and let's start with um, W.E.B. Du Bois. But what of black women? I most sincerely doubt if any other race of women could have bought its finest up through so devilish a fire. Next, Janet Jackson. I'm convinced that black women possess a special, indestructible strength that allows us to not only get down, but to get up, to get through, and to get over. My favorite, Bell Hooks. Usually, when people talk about the strength of black women, they ignore the reality that to be strong in the face of oppression is not the same as overcoming oppression. That endurance is not to be confused with transformation. Lastly, Angela Davis. Black women could hardly strive for weakness. They had to become strong for their families and their communities needed their strength to survive. Harriet Tubman, Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Ida B. Wells, Rosa Parks are not exceptional black women as much as they are epitomes of black womanhood. Dr. Leith, Dr. Jones, it has been a true honor to have you here tonight as an opportunity to talk about this topic that is not so easy to talk about. I hope tonight if you're listening and you find yourself wearing this as a badge of honor on some days, but on other days, it's too much to bear. That the resources, the conversations tonight has been enough for you to begin to consider what it means to get help, what it means to adjust your sister circle, what it means to reach out to some of these resources that have been made available for you. Because as a man, I can say it's true. There's toxic masculinity and there's my masculinity. And I choose not to be toxic. Thank y'all for being here tonight. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.